Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. 2 Corinthians this evening, chapter 1. We're studying spirit, soul, and body. You may think, well, why is it necessary we study that? Well, if you'll understand these principles, you'll understand a lot about yourself. You need to know what is motivating your behavior, your activity, your beliefs, basically everything in your life. You need to understand what's of your flesh, what's of your soul, what's of your spirit. You need to understand that the strength of your life is your spirit, man. That your spirit is is something that is made in the very likeness and image of God. And without a spirit on the inside of you, you wouldn't even be alive. Your spirit is your life. Your life force is your spirit. Life force is not of the soul. Life force is not of the flesh. Uh, Literally, if you understand the redemptive principles uh, of who Jesus was and how he was actually physically made up, you understand that he could have lived on the earth forever, never died, because his spirit man was untainted by the fall uh, of man. Therefore, he could have hung on that cross forever except for one component, and that was sin. Sin is what separates uh, God and man, and he took our sin, and that sin separated him from God, and he took our punishment so we could have his reward. I tell you, it's worth it to serve a God that loves you that much. So we kind of got over into the spirit side of this. We begin to look at some things about the spirit and uh, I know most of what we looked at next week was the, uh, I mean last week, was the negative side of it, that the motivations of the unregenerate spirit are very evil, uh, they're, they're, they have their origin in the fall, uh, they're satanic, uh, the Bible says that we're by nature uh, children of wrath in Ephesians chapter 2, if you study that in several translations, it'll literally say that you're, you're literally, your motivations of your spirit are of your father, the devil. The uh, fallacies of the major doctrines of Christianity, which are the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, are totally disputed by the Word of God. God is not everybody's father. God is everybody's creator, but He's not everybody's father. Uh, We're not all brothers and sisters. You're either in the human family or you're in God's family. Uh, We all are human beings, but that means that there are people on the earth that have left the human family and got into God's family. And God wants you to know that He has equipped and empowered you with everything that you need to live by your spirit. But there is a conflict that goes on within you between your flesh and your soul and your spirit for domination, for leadership. I've always said it like this. Your, 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 your physical, uh, soulish, and spiritual makeup loves democracy. That's what it loves. It loves democracy. It likes for every part of the being to have a vote, for there to be a vote from the flesh, a vote from the soul, the vote from the spirit. Well, that's, that's, that doesn't work because your flesh and your soul outvote your spirit every time two to one. How many have ever known that? But then what you need to do is to kick out that rule of government in your own life and you need to live under a theocracy. You say, what is that? God in charge. And when God's in charge, then you're ruled by the Spirit and the things that are a blessing to the Spirit realm become the reality of your spirit being and spirit man. And then by faith, they begin to make inroads into your soul, into your mind, your emotions, and your will, and into your flesh. If not, 
You're going to live under the dictates of your flesh and your soul, and that is really one of the most miserable ways for a Christian to live because then he has to yield to his baser nature for any type of relief, for any type of satisfaction. So you find a lot of Christians kind of living a double life because they can't find any satisfaction in serving God because you get out of it what you put into it. Amen? Put a little into it, you get a little out of it. You put a lot into it, you're going to get a lot out of it. I talked to a pastor the other day. We were talking about some of these things, and he said, you know, there's a real move in the churches today where people are either just moving in to what God is doing, moving in to the Word, moving in to prayer, moving in, desiring the supernatural, desiring the move of the Spirit, or they're just backing out. And a lot of them are backing out or backing out because of the baser nature. The things of the flesh and the soul are pulling them out. Old addictions, old lifestyles, old mindsets, thinking that somehow, some way, that's going to give you some kind of relief or pleasure. But all it is is a temporal pacifier because when you wake up from it, things are still the way they were when you started doing it. So we're going to live by the Spirit. Everybody say, the Spirit. The Bible says if we live by the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So let's look at some things that God has done for us in our human spirit. It will really help you to understand these things. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I like verse 20, for all the promises of God are in him, yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I might have said 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, verse 21, now he which established us, or establishes us with you in Christ, hath anointed us, and hath anointed us, is God, everybody say, is God. Now, notice this, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit, capital S, into our hearts. Now, I like it here in the, in the uh, uh, Passion Bible. Listen to it in the Passion Bible. Now, it is God himself who has anointed us, and he is constantly strengthening both you and us in union with Christ. He knows we are his since he has also stamped his seal of love over our hearts and given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring is given to a bride, a down payment of the blessings to come. Now, you say, well, what do you mean by that? First of all, you've got to understand a little bit about Jewish courtship and marriage. Basically, when a man, a young Jewish man, uh, engages himself to a young Jewish woman and places a ring on, their fing on her finger, even though they're not allowed to consummate the marriage, even though they're not allowed to live together, even though they have to wait for the ceremony that they go through, at the point of engagement, they're married. They're married at the point of engagement. So you've got to understand, when God gave you the Holy Ghost, he engaged himself to you, and at the point of engagement, you have been joined together with Christ. You are one with him. Amen? Now, you're not with your flesh, you're not with your soul, but you are in the spirit, and the Bible says you've been stamped with a seal. Now, understanding that, you must understand, we've said this for years, but if you can get a hold of this, this will really help you. All of your problems in life lie in the arena of your soul and your flesh. All of your problems, no matter what they may be, physical problems, financial problems, problems with, with uh, uh, depression, addictions, uh, problems, no matter what it is, they lie in the flesh and the soul. Your spirit, man, listen, eventually one day the entire part of our being, spirit, soul, and body, will drink fully of the cup of redemption. 
Your soul will adjust automatically to what's in your spirit. Your body will become glorified. You'll be able to stand in the presence of God without any sense of guilt or condemnation. You will be a super being. Amen. Amen. So God wanted you to know that by giving you a seal and an engagement ring of the Holy Ghost in your spirit man, doing all the work that would ever be done in your spirit, then sealing your spirit. You have no spiritual problems, but you do have a requirement. You say, what is that? Your spirit man must grow and develop. Just like your physical body and your soul had to grow and develop, then uh, you must understand your spirit man has to grow and develop. I mean, if you were 30 years old and, you know, you didn't have any kind of a, you know, birth defect or some type of ailment that would cause you to be some type of special needs person, but if you were 30 years old and, you know, you still hadn't learned how to walk and, and you still wore a diaper and cried, and I, we'd, we'd kind of think, you know, that, somebody needs to grow that person up. Amen? And the thing is, is, you know, a lot of things about life kind of force you to grow up, but you have to understand it is by your own will that you grow spiritually. And the most important thing in your entire life should not be to be successful in a career, should not be to gather a bunch of money, should not be to marry the right person, should not be, it should be to grow spiritually because if you grow spiritually, all those things line right up. So you cannot forsake the growth of your spirit man on the inside and the good news is there's nothing the enemy can do to impede that growth and development in your spirit because God has sealed you. Everybody say, I'm sealed. Yeah, I mean, not I am a seal. You are sealed. A lot of people, they think they are a seal. Amen. Now, go if you will. Let's look at this in Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me get over here to it. Ephesians chapter 1. Let me get all these things where they're not sliding around on me. Ephesians chapter 1, look there in, look there in verse, it's hard, to, it's hard to preach out of Ephesians without reading a whole bunch of scriptures. There's so much good stuff in this book. It says, uh, verse 10, that in the dispensations of the fullness of times, he or God might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Also notice the word preceding that. We have what? Obtained inheritance. Now let me say this. There is an inheritance of redemption that belongs to your flesh. You've not received it. There is inheritance of redemption that belongs to your soul. You've not received it. But the inheritance of redemption that belongs to your spirit, if you're born again, you've received that. Out of the three, that's the most important. Because without that one, the other two are not even relevant. You'll never get them. So the most important is to receive that inheritance in this life on this earth. Now the wonderful thing about God and the wonderful thing about His mercy, His grace, and His compassion is He has downloaded into our spirit man everything we'll ever need. Healing is not up in heaven somewhere and healing is not in the hands of the minister. Healing is in your spirit, man. Prosperity is in your spirit, man. Joy is in your spirit, man. Righteousness is in your spirit, man. 
Everything you'll ever need that pertains unto life and godliness has been, in, has been deposited in your spirit, man, and you become aware of it and a partaker of it by the precious promises of God. By the precious promises of God, you become a partaker of the divine nature that's not sitting in heaven, but the divine nature that's in your spirit, man. The divine nature is in your spirit, man. Let me say that again. The divine nature is in your because a lot of people think, well, it's all in heaven. We forget if we could only get what's in heaven down here, we'd be all right. No, it's in you. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, notice this. This is really interesting. It says being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom also you trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now let me say something. You, you, if you get a hold of this, you'll become a super Christian right now. You'll quit all the foolishness. You'll quit all the trying to, you know, lay out of this, not do that. Church won't, well, church can go to every once in a while. No, you'll, you, that, all of that will get out of you real quick if you can understand this one thing. This one thing. There is something about people on earth that have never seen God, touched God, heard God, smelt God, or tasted God, who have never had any kind of contact in the central, sensual realm with God at all. Everything they do or everything they know, they do it by faith. The just shall live by faith. God calls those people the ecclesia or the church or his family. Amen? People think, well, church doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. You are the family of God. And listen, God's coming back for a glorious family, a glorious ecclesia without spot or wrinkle. But you've got to understand, you are so special to God that not the saints of old, not Moses, not the Jews, not the children of Israel, not the tribulation saints, not people that are born during the millennial reign, none of those people, but only those that lived in the 2,000-year period in which the just had to live by faith, which is us. God will use us throughout the expanses of the universe and all of the eternity of times in order to manifest His wisdom and His glorious power. Now, if you really believe that, you'd start serving God now. You'd get rid of all the goofiness, all the fluff, all the stuff, and you'd get real serious about God because you'd realize this something that's going on in me is very eternal. It's forever, and I'm not just going to sit around strumming a harp somewhere. God's going to use me for no telling what, but whatever it is, it's going to be glorious. Amen? You're going to be empowered. You're going to have a glorified body. You're going to have all the gifts of the Holy Ghost operating in you. You're going to be a supernatural being. And wherever God sets you down in whatever part of the universe, in whatever region of time, you're literally going to be God's reflection in that area. Actually, I, you know, I don't like to say this a lot because people get real weird when you say it. But what you'll be is you'll be Jesus. As Jesus walked on the earth, so you will walk wherever God sends you. Amen? Now, notice this. This is a... This is powerful. He said, but being predestined. Now remember that predestination. Remember, I've taught you 400 years ago out of a Bible school in Germany, old German theology is what all of Christianity is based upon except island church and people that believe like we do. You say, what do you mean by that? Out of that Bible school 400 years ago, two men came out and developed two doctrines. One, the doctrine of 
Predestination. His name was Calvin. That's known as Calvinism. Predestination is that God has already chosen everybody that's going to be saved. He knows those that will be saved, those that won't be saved. Really, there's no basis in human will. God's already predestined everything to work out the way it's going to work out. That's not in the Bible. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The other side of that is the legalism side, which some of the worst legalism in the world are Pentecostals. You say, what do you mean by that? There is legalism in the Pentecostal realm. There's denominations that have been formed by people who every week you've got to get saved. Anything you ever do, you lose your salvation from one day to the next. You've got to perform acts of, you've got to wear your hair a certain way. Women can't wear makeup or jewelry, all that. And let me tell you something about the doctrines of these types of, of ministries. They're, they're in error. They're poison. They'll destroy your life. And a lot of people that have tried to live their lives out, and I know some of them have gotten born again, some of them have even tasted of some of the things of God, but many of them live in such bondage that they're miserable because they, they can never measure up to the standard in which religion sets for them. So the predestination that's being talked about here is not the predestination of God choosing one and not another. This is a predestination unique to every person who says yes to Jesus. Now think of all the people that ever lived on the earth since Jesus was born again. I mean, yeah, since Jesus was the firstborn of the dead, firstborn again person, amen? When he rose from the dead, God already had ready. Now think of it. It'd be like a big warehouse down here where everything that you'd ever need for life is in that warehouse, and it's got every person's name on it that lives on Galveston Island. Your car, your house, your money, your fishing rod, your boat, whatever you need to live on Galveston Island and live good and have a good life. It's all there and it's in a big, it's in a big garage and it's got your name on it. Amen. Amen. And all these people are running around the island telling everybody, you've got, you've, you've got something in that big building down there. You've got something powerful. In that, you've got everything you'll ever need. You've got your health. You've got your wealth. You've got your blessing for your family. Everything you need. Did you know there'd still be people who wouldn't go down there and get it? Did you know there'd be people that still, even though they were predestined to have it, even though they were predestined by God to have it, that's what God's done for us in Christ. For every person ever born onto this planet, there is a great reservoir of blessing that God says, if you're a whosoever will, you can enter into that blessing. You've got your, your name on it. I put your name on it. Amen. That's like the, you know, we've, we've taught this before. We can bear this out by the word of God. That's like the, you know, and I've done it before. I was guilty of it in my own ministry for many years until I got light in the word of God of telling people to come up and get saved and God will write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. That's not true. God writes every person's name down in the Lamb's book of life and you live a lifetime to either keep it there or see it removed. You die without Christ, he removes it. You get born again, it's just, it's taken, I like to say it like, it's taken out of pencil and written back in blood. In the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that predestination is unique to every person on the planet that, that will call on the name of the Lord. But now notice that word again is there. The, the, the sealed and the earnest of our inheritance. Let's read it in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Passion Bible. Let me find it here. Here it is, verse, uh, what verse is that, 14? Yeah, it says... He is given unto us like an engagement ring is given to a bride as the first installment of what's coming. He is our hope promise of a future inheritance which seals us 
until we have all of redemption's promises and experience complete freedom all for the supreme glory and honor of God. I like one translation. I believe it's either Moffat's. I think it's Moffat's that says, and this is the earnest money contract. Not given to, but placed inside the believer as proof positive of the glory to come. In which the individual walk in, the individual will walk in as proof as being a child of the living God to the glory of all God wants to do in us. Woohoo! My my my! See, people people die and go to hell out of ignorance, and then Christians live way below their rights and privileges out of out of ignorance. They try to soulishly serve God or fleshly serve God when God wants you to be spiritual. Amen. And if you'll learn to be spiritual and to live by your spirit man, then on the inside of you, the strength of your spirit man will grow and it will be the dominant force. Now you, you, only you, only you can answer this question. What is the dominant force of your life? Only you can answer that. Your husband can't answer it. Your wife can't. Uh, if you're a single person, it doesn't matter. You can't, you're the only one because you know yourself. The only person knows you better than you is God. And you know where your strength is. If the strength is in your flesh, which if, if, you, if your strength is in your flesh, that's not good. Amen. You say, why? Because your flesh is dying. Amen. And your flesh is cursed. And your flesh is subject to all kinds of appetites and controls and motivations that you do not want to live by at all. And if you're ruled by your mind. Now we're seeing a great manifestation right now of people, especially in leadership, that are ruled by their mind. I mean, their intellect has grown so big. I heard a guy say this years ago. I thought it was pretty good. He says, they have educated, educated themselves into stupidity. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but, uh, you know, there's some things going on today that I think, man, that's pretty crazy, you know. Doesn't even sound like common sense. But you have to realize that if you are like that, then the problem is your intellect grows so strong, it literally will, it will block out spiritual things. They try to explain away God. They try to explain away anything that is of God. They, they, they don't want anything to do with God because God does not line up with their intellect. Never will. Never will. Amen? Now, real quick, go to... How's my time? Oh, I'm doing good. Go to 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 5. Isn't it good to know these things about your spirit? Now, let's start there in verse 18. And I'll give you a little bit more to chew on here. Now notice this. We know, verse 18 of 1 John chapter 5, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. Now, there's, you know, I talked about the two different doctrines that came out of old Germany. One particular one has used that to just beat people to death with. Well, if you're born of God, you're not going to sin. It's not talking about your entire being because your entire being is not born of God. Amen? So every little sin, you're like, well, you see, you're not even born again anymore. That's how you keep people in bondage and control them, keep them afraid and fearful of God. Amen? Now, but it says, whosoever, so that's speaking of, of the individual, is what? Born of God, sinneth not. Better translation. If you're born again, you do not have the sin nature. 
Now understand that. That it is against your nature to break the laws of God. At one time it wasn't. At one time it was your nature. That's why you can't get mad at sinners. And you say, well, people are just crazy. Men think they're women. Women think they're men. Everybody's gone nuts. They want to do this. You can't blame them. You can't blame them. It's their nature. And here we've had 6,000 years of negative evolution. You say, what do you mean negative evolution? Well, man has gone from the presence of God to the animal he is today. That's what it is. It's not what they think, you know, from the, how did they used to say it years ago, from the, from the goo to the zoo to you? <laughs> no. No, we were made in the likeness and image of God, and we, that was up here. We didn't fell down. But thank God when the cross came, we went back up. Amen? But still, still, it's not your mind that God saved. It's not your flesh that God saved. You're called by God to renew your mind with the Word of God, and you're called by God to present your body a living sacrifice and not let the appetites of your body dominate you. Amen? Now notice this again. Whosoever, let me find it again. Whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, now notice this, and that wicked one, now notice this very carefully, toucheth him not. So you know this isn't talking about your flesh. And you know this isn't talking about your mind. This is talking about the spirit on the inside of you, the real you, the spirit man on the inside. I like one translation that says this, Satan has no access to your recreated human spirit. Now you say, now why, why doesn't Satan have any access to the recreated human spirit? Good question. Here's why. The recreated human spirit is totally dominant over Satan. That means all of the authority of God has been placed Everything that is of his power, of his might, of his authority. The last thing Satan even wants to look you, look at you at is in the spirit realm. Because when he sees you in the spirit realm, when he looks at you in the spirit realm, you know what he sees? He sees Jesus. And he knows what Jesus did to him. He does not even consider you in the spirit. But he does consider you in the soul and he does consider you in the flesh. Listen to it in Amplified. We know absolutely that anyone born of God does not deliberately or knowingly practice committing sin, but the one who was but the one who was begotten of God carefully watches over and protects him, protects him, Christ's divine presence within him, preserves him against evil, and the wicked one does not lay hold or get a grip on him or touch him. Wow. Isn't that cool? Uh, Passion Bible. We are convinced that everyone fathered by God does not make sinning a way of life because the Son of God protects the child of God and the evil one cannot touch him. We know that God, we are God's children and that the whole world lies under the misery and influence of the evil one and we know that the Son of God has made our understanding to come alive so that we can now buy, so that we can know by experience, listen to that, we can know by experience the one who is true and we are in him who is true, God's son, Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. I'm telling you, you got something on the inside of you. I said, you got something on the inside of you. 
And living your life by faith is trying to get what's on the inside to the outside. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 2 when he says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that worketh in you, both the will and the do of His good pleasure. Now, we've taken that scripture and made that into a legalistic. Well, we were, how are we going to work it out, Pastor? How? Well, here's how we do it. You know, you can't wear blue on Fridays. You can't eat fish on Thursdays. You can't go to the beach on Wednesday afternoons. And when you come to church, you got to hop in on one foot. That's not working out your salvation. If you go back to the previous verses and read it in context, it talks about Jesus who gave up who he was in heaven, gave up his deity, came down, was made in the likeness of men, became obedient unto the death, wherefore the death of the cross, wherefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee must bow, things in heaven, earth, under the earth, and every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And because of that, you say what? Because of that, you work out your own salvation. For it's God that worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. You say, well, what does that mean? That means as Jesus did what? Gave up who he was to become who he is. You give up who you were to become who he wants you to be. A lot of people get saved, but they work so hard trying to keep who they used to be alive. You're trying to keep a dead man alive. That's hard to do. Amen? You put them in front of the stuff you used to watch. You pour the stuff down your throat you used to drink. You snort the stuff you used to snort. You smoke the stuff you... And you think, why doesn't this work the way it used to? Because you're not the person you used to be. And now you're miserable living like that because that's not who you are. You've got to make a decision. I'm going to do what? I'm going to take what's on the inside of me, inside of me, which is the glory of God, the healing of God, the righteousness of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, everything that's good, everything that pertains to life and godliness, and I'm going to work it out. How do you do that? Same way Jesus did. By obeying God, humbling yourself, becoming obedient to what God says you're supposed to do. And that's how you work out your salvation. Where's your salvation? It's in you. It's in your spirit. That's where it is right now. The very life and power. You've got the life and power. You've got eternal life in your spirit. Now, I wrote three different columns. The flesh, the soul, the spirit. Let's go start with the flesh. Flesh is motivated by appetite, fed by excess, and appeased by comfort. Now listen to that again. Your flesh is motivated by appetite. You can develop for an appetite for anything. Amen? We got some vitamins the other day that you, uh, you, you it's, it's in a powder form. You put it in a glass and mix it up. And it's really pretty bad. <laughs> so I've been drinking it what about two weeks and now it's not as bad as it was Leah hates it but now it's not as bad as it was for me because I've developed a taste I've, I've trained my flesh you know when you were a sinner the iniquity of your spirit would motivate you to do things beyond your common sense did anybody before you got saved did you, anybody smoke before you got saved wasn't that wonderful 
Remember your first cigarette? Didn't your body just welcome the, the nicotine, the 67 different chemicals that, that are in tobacco? Didn't your body just welcome it in and you have this euphoric feeling and you know you'd waited your whole life to smoke that Winston? Isn't that right? No, most of us coughed and hey, your own, your own physical flesh had enough sense. Amen? I mean, you coughed and you hacked and you choked. But then you ended up smoking four packs a day. Your flesh easily develops taste for what destroys it. It does. It lives by excess. That means, well, I'm just going to smoke one a day. And then it became one a hour. And then one a moment, minute, you know. I mean, you get, it does what? It just literally just drives you to excess. That's why addiction, that's why so many people are dying of drug overdoses. You say, why? The flesh motivates. You, you, you did this much to get started. Now you need this much. Now you need this much. Now you need this much. Now you need it. It just grows and grows and grows to excess. Amen? So the flesh is what? It's motivated by appetites. And it's fed by excess, and it's appeased by comfort. Well, why do you keep? Why do you get into excess? Because you need more to give you the comfort that less gave you earlier. Whether it be heroin or chocolate ice cream. No amens on that one. <laughs> Amen. That's why people they don't understand. They they think, hey, yeah, pastor, you know that's all good, that's all well and cool, but man, I, you know, man, I, I man, I work hard. I do. I work hard, man. I, I come home, I have a couple of Miller Lights, man. That's, man. I tell you something. You play with it. You mess with it. It'll grow on you. You say, why? Well, your flesh wants more. Your flesh wants more. And if you, ain't got, if you ain't got enough faith to say no to the first one, here comes excess knocking on your door. And one of these days, you're going to be swimming in it. No amens on that one either, will its foundation or the foundational motivation of your flesh is self now listen to this this is, this is something that I, I this is amazing your flesh is what has been most affected by the fall the fall of, the fall of man in the garden nothing has been affected more than your flesh you say why? your flesh is dying from the day you're born you start to die and it may take you 90 years it may take you 110 years. You may only live. I think I, I read a deal when I was reading about the, uh, the disasters of Galveston and when yellow fever. And, in 1900 in Galveston when the lo big storm wiped everybody out, did you know that men in 1900, uh, if you, you were an old man if you were 45 years old? You were an old man. You were an old woman if you were 50. Men lived to be 45, women to be 50. I mean, it, it's amazing, the, you know, the technology and medicine and, and people learning more about how to take care of themselves, things like that, have given us more longevity. But way back when Adam was on the earth and before Noah and before flood, man didn't even know how to die. His flesh didn't even know how to die. It took him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and finally he learned how, oh, this is how you die. Oh, I've been dying the whole time. Amen. So you've got to understand that everything that is of your flesh is about self and your flesh is most affected by the fall. So that means the things that are affecting humanity through the fall, your flesh, oh, your flesh wants, oh, your flesh wants, it wants to do it. The excesses, sexual excesses, excesses with addictions, you just, your flesh just wants to, oh, 24-7, and if you let it, it'll do it. So I don't believe that. What do you think, who do you think's in our prisons? 
because it'll drive you to break even the laws of society. You break the laws of common sense when you yield the flesh in the first place, but you stay with it and stay with it, and then you'll even break the laws of our society, and they'll have to put you away. Amen? Now the soul. Everybody say the soul. The soul is motivated by curiosity, fed by information. The want to know. Amen? The want to know. As your intellect wakes up, if you've ever raised a, a child, <laughs> Breland had a question for every tick of the clock. I mean, she could ask more questions in 10 minutes. And, I, you know, I was like, go ask your mother, you know. I mean, good Lord. But that's a sign of an intellect waking up. Curiosity. You know, why does a brown cow eat green grass and give white milk? I don't know. Go ask your mother. You know, I mean, it's... <laughs> Amen. And that is what develops the intellect. And people get, and what's amazing, motivated many times by the flesh, the soul will appease the flesh and begin to explore all kinds of alternative realities. Amen. And people declare their wisdom. They declare their, you know, how I, I found this out and I, you know, I, I took all these drugs. I, we were watching a deal the other day about a guy who, who he's a scientist and, he, and, he, and he's, he's a scientist and he checks out hallucinogenic plants and frogs and all this kind of stuff. And I looked at that guy for about five minutes as we watched him. I said, he's whacked. <laughs> he was too. He was whacked. You know what that means, you know, he's out of his mind. But how what was he doing? He was going and he was exploring all these places in the world, all these substances, and all that, and he was doing them thinking he was satisfying some type of curiosity. But the curiosity that is put in your soul, in your mind, your emotions, and your will was put there for you to seek God. And people, what do they do? They seek everything else. They seek everything else. So if you seek because of the curiosity, what satisfies that is what? Information. I read a deal the other day that said the average screen time for the average person in America on their computer is five and a half hours a day. Whoa, what happened to watching TV? <laughs> Amen. I mean, it's amazing that people spend five and a half hours a day locked onto what? A constant flow of information. A and what the problem is, if the soul is unregenerate, which means the soul is not being renewed, the mind and the intellect is not being put in its place by the Word of God, then one question leads to the next, 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 until literally you, you're, you're on a path you never get to the end of. Because, see, there's no faith in it. Faith puts you at the end of that. Well, explain that. No, I don't, can't explain it. I just believe God. Are you going to heaven? Yeah, how do you know? I got born again. Well, explain that. Well, the Bible says you must be born again. Jesus said that. I believed in my heart and confessed with my mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's really all the information I got. But I know when I did that, something happened on the inside of me. I was made brand new. My spirit on the inside got empowered. God downloaded eternity into me. His likeness, his power, his anointing. There it is. So I'm, I'm, I'm just taking my life and I'm doing everything I can do to try to discover that. That's literally what Paul said. That I might know him. That I might know Christ. I'm trying to apprehend that which apprehended me. Motivated by curiosity, fed by information, not knowledge or truth. Now, now, did you get that? Because there's a lot of things that don't have any basis in truth that man seeks after. And it does not have a It may have a basis in fact, but not truth. Now, notice this. The foundation 
the foundation of it is the agreement that in the end it all makes sense. You just have to find it. If you find, you know, the golden thread of the intellect and follow it far enough, if you get enough degrees, if you get a, another doctorate, if you get another, if you get another, you know, degree, if you if you read this next book, if you do some, you're going to get to the end. And and you know what they all they all call it from religion to the to the druggies to the to the great intellects of the world. You know what they call it? Enlightenment. Enlightenment, which means we will find that light, which is the source of all life. They're not going to find it. When they get to the end of the road, it's like I say it like this, the search for self. I used to have a poster. I finally gave it away. It was a big, <laughs> big surf movie poster from the 60s, and it was called The Golden Breed. And it was a guy on a surfboard all posed, and it said the search for self. So I've coined this phrase. When you, when you go on the search for self and you get to the end of the search for self and you find yourself, you will always be disappointed. Because life is not about the search for self. Life is about the search for God. Amen. Now, spirit. The spirit. Now, we're talking about the born again, recreated spirit, motivated by truth, fed by God's word. Its foundation is all that God has done for us in Christ. And its motivations, now listen, are sacrifice and servitude. You talk about counter to the world system and fallen humanity where they consider sacrifice and servitude a great weakness. Every great trait, character trait of our God, they consider weakness. Humility, weakness. Amen? Even, even stronger traits like sanctification or holiness. Well, if you're a holy person, you're a weak person. They think, well, if you, religion is a crutch. Religion is, but being born again is not. Amen? What did, what, who was it? It was not, not Stalin, but I think Lenin called religion the opiate of the masses. That's exactly what it is. It puts them to sleep. It puts them to sleep. But you've got to realize the real quest for Christ from the Spirit. Once you get born again, something awakens on the inside of you that if you allow it, it will motivate you the rest of your life to search for Him who is in you. And as you search for him that is in you, there'll be all kinds of alternative things. You may build a church. You may go on the mission field. You may become an evangelist. You may be a good Sunday school teacher. You may work with kids. Whatever it is, something will come out of that that God has gifted you with to be a part of the rest of us who are on that same search, which is God's family, searching for the reality of what God has done for us in Christ and experiencing as much as the fullness of we can in this realm of faith in which we have to live. That phrase, that without faith it is impossible to please Him, when you take the reciprocal of that and flip that around, faith pleases God. And one of the greatest things that you can do in life, in your quest for life and for Him, is to seek Him knowing that one day He will say unto you, Well done, thy good and faithful, not thy good and faithful pastor, not thy good and faithful businessman, not thy good and faithful evangelist, but thy good and faithful what? Servant. Every positive trait of your own life, you that are parents, know that when you see that, in your own children. It motivates you to bless them. 
You ever notice that? Well, what do you think about God? What do you think about God? I've said this for years about faith. Faith brings your spirit man from the outside, from the inside to the outside so that people can see the reflection of God in you. Because when you're acting by faith, you are reflecting everything that God is in you by his word. Whether you're doing it for your finances, whether you're doing it for your health, whether we're doing it as a church for a move of God or for a revival, whether we're believing God to just raise up something powerful in the midst of the greatest darkness the earth has ever seen, whatever we're doing and what's motivating us to do it from the inside out, when it steps out of the unseen into the seen, amen, people see God. They know it's God. They know it's Christ. They can't argue. That's why so much of what we do and what people see is not of our own motivation. It's of His motivation so that people will not see us. They'll see past us or through us and see God. We don't want them to see past us or through us and see a doctrine, a denomination, or a religion, or a philosophy. And that's what happens with a lot of people. That's why so many people get disillusioned with church. But if you have the correct eyes to see, which the whole world really does, you did or you wouldn't have got born again. Something impressed you. I heard a guy giving a testimony one time and he was worked at some kind of office setting. He was a full gospel businessman and he was giving his testimony. He worked at a, an office and there was a, a, a secretary or somebody there who was a Christian. And he said, I really hated her. He said, I really hated her. He said, I was an alcoholic. I cheated on my wife, cheated on my taxes, Cheated in my business, stole money. He said, I, I, you know, I smoked dope, did all kinds of stuff. He said, I was just a reprobate. And she was a Christian. And she was just, she'd walk in just, she said, that, she said I wanted to slap that smile off of her face. <laughs> and she would do things to him. Uh, you know, God loves you. and I love you and I'm praying for you. And Would you like to come to church? He said, it would drive me up the wall. He said, and I resolved in my, in my mind, in my heart, I will never be an idiot like that. Guess what? <laughs> that little old gal just kept loving him and loving him and putting tracks on his desk and doing this and doing that. And, and he began to watch her life and knew she had gone through some tough trials and tribulations. And she'd come to church, just, I mean, come to work just bouncing and full of joy and all this. He couldn't understand it. Finally, his curiosity which motivates the mind got so thirsty for some information and instead of soulish information she gave him spiritual information and he ended up born again and a speaker for the full gospel businessmen all over the United States getting people born again what did he see he didn't see her he saw Christ in her and that's what God wants everyone to see in us amen Lift your hands and thank you, Father, we worship you tonight. Thank you for your kindness toward us. Thank you that you've equipped us to live this life. Thank you that you're equipping us even more day by day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, to show forth your glory. Here on this island, everywhere else we go, everywhere else we send people, everything we do, thank you, Father. Thank you that you delivered us out of religion and denominationalism and, and, and all the rules and regulation and you've caused us to rise up in the grace, in the grace that faith appropriates. And Lord, when we make mistakes, you've got that mercy there that just, that just helps us 
from that which we've inflicted ourselves with keeps us moving in the right direction. Father, we thank you tonight that we can put a demand upon the Word that in, in us is your glory, your power. And Lord, we thank you that it finds its way out of us through revelation and faith. Therefore, that which we know to be true, Psalms 91, no evil befalls us, no plague comes in our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Only with our eyes will we behold and see the reward of the wicked. We'll not, we'll not be afraid of the terror by night, that which comes in darkness, the arrow that flieth by day. Thank you for your protection and safety, not only in our travels, but in the righteous labor of our hands. We thank you, Father, that no trauma, no ter terror, no accidents, no evil plans of wicked men. And Father, we push back against the diseases of the world, that which is in the world, that which is coming upon the world. We set a standard from the inside out, resisting that which is of the devil, declaring our protection and safety. Thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. Your grace, your life, your light is in us. Do not let it be hid under a bushel. Let it come out and shine for all the world to see. Let the fire of evangelism burn in us. Let us be a blessing to people, a problem to the devil, a miracle in people's lives. Lord, as we leave tonight, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace toward us. Thank you for our church. We walk in love one toward another. Thank you that we are the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. And we here at Island Church, we thank you, Father, that we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by your Spirit. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com. Hallelujah, Jesus.